Happy Mother's Day again to all, um, everyone out there. We wouldn't be here today without mothers, like literally. So we're very grateful for them. And uh, thanks, Kayla, for making such a great video. I think she already headed downstairs, but she did a really good job in that. Moms play such a huge role in the Bible, right? If, if it even wasn't directly about them, someone had to raise up all the Bible heroes that we talk about today, let alone Jesus, right? I mean, who would like to be the mother of a God? Be God? Like, no, no, thank you. I'm filled with a lot of failure. And, you know, God's like, well, you know, I had this big plan in place, but if you could have just raised them right, you know, um, I just don't want that kind of pressure, right? There's, there's two moms mentioned in what I call the Hall of Faith. And uh, this is the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. It's just verse after verse of all of these kind of the greats, all the Bible heroes that we know about. And just like by faith, they did this. And it talks about, you know, Noah and Moses and Abraham and um, Joshua and David and all these things. Um, But there's two moms mentioned within that chapter. And so we're going to look at them and what made them such mothers of faith, right? Um, The first one is Sarah. She was Abraham's wife, and she's mentioned in verse 11 of chapter 11 of book of Hebrews. And it says, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. We're going to look into this story a little bit deeper. And what does that really look like? You know, because Hebrews 11 is just this brief summary of all these great acts. Um, So we're going to look into the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at the story of Abraham and Sarah and uh, what it meant for them to have faith. In Genesis 15, 2-5, it says, But Abraham, which is Abraham before God changed his name, same person, Abraham, replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all the blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up to the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So God made this promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son. And... um, and, and through that son, through that child, they would have descendants that are numerous, right? You can't count the stars, and that was God's point there, is just descendants galore um, through this. But as of this one moment, Abraham's like, I, I don't even have a child to leave my things to. How can I believe in all of your promises? If we jump to the next chapter, um, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, um, it talks about Sarah, whose name was Sarai at the time, because God changed her name before too, or a little bit after this too. So now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed to Sarai's proposal. Men don't agree to these types of proposals, okay? (laughs) I know times were different back then and things, but like, your wife is saying it, it's a test, and say no immediately. Like, <laughs> words are coming out of her mouth. You just say, no, I, I'm here for you. We're in this together. I don't need that. You know, it's just going to lead to a lot of complications, which it does here, too. So, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abraham had settled in the land of Canaan. So 10 years ago, this promise had been made to them. So 10 years, they're waiting for this son to show up and still no child has come. 
So Abram had sexual relations, we all know what that means, with Hagar, and she became pregnant. There's another mom within the same story of Sarah, Hagar. Now Hagar, she gets pregnant, and um, she gets a little bit of pride, because now her, her master, her mistress, Sarah, couldn't, couldn't get her husband pregnant, you know, couldn't be pregnant with him. And so now she has the child. And this was a big status thing back then. And she begins to not really listen to her, her uh, mistress and like kind of looks down on her. Like, well, you couldn't get pregnant, but I can. Maybe I'm more blessed than you. And so Sarah obviously is very upset about this and begins to treat her so badly that Hagar runs away right? That sounds like the healthy, faithful mother type that I find in Hebrews 11, right? Let's look at verses 7 to 11 of chapter 16 um, about Hagar. It says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar. You know, she ran away. They're surrounded by desert wilderness, okay? So she's running. This is, you know, early beginnings of time. There wasn't tons and tons of civilization yet. So she's just wandering when she ran away. And the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Cotton Eye Joe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Or Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard the cry, your cry of distress. And then if we jump to verse 13, it says, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, who um, who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. In Hebrew, what it says there, she says, this is the name that I now call God, and it's Elroy. Um, But not the Elroy that you guys maybe are thinking. It's E-L space R-O-I. And it literally means the God who sees me. You know, I think of Victoria sharing her story. That was not a planned thing. Um, But that understanding of God hears me and God sees me. Isn't that beautiful? God sees you. He hears you in the middle of all your suffering. In the moments that you're done with your kids or done hoping for kids, God sees you and he hears you. And I love that this is so perfectly placed in the middle of this story of a woman who ends up waiting 90 years to have a son. In the next chapter, chapter 17, verses 15 through 19, God reminds Abraham of the plan, and he can barely believe it. Right? Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. It will now be Sarah. And I will bless her, and I will give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. King of nations will be, kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. Disbelief. How could I be a father at the age of 100, he thought. How can Sarah have a baby at 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. I love this. Abraham laughed at God's presence, or God's promise to him. He was like, how about we just focus on Ishmael, God? You're, I'm 100, she's 90, like, this is not going to happen. I already have this other son. Let's just focus on him. God's like, no, that's not what's happening. I made a promise, and I'm faithful to my promises. 
In the next chapter, God shows up through, um, I don't have my water there. I'm just like reaching for nothing. That's embarrassing. There, now it's there. In the next chapter, God shows up again through some um, holy visitors to remind Sarah directly of this promise. In chapter 18, verses 9 through 12, it says, Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She is inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is so old? Right? I mean, that's, that's some truth there, right? Is anyone that's already retired or about to retire ready to have a newborn? Anybody excited? Like, no. Like, I mean, I'm only 32, and I'm like, no more newborns. Like, no more baby diapers, no more car seats. Like, just, I'm over that. Because you imagine being 100 years old, well past that time, and like, yep, we're going to raise a newborn child. It's going to happen. You know, we'll both be in diapers at the same time. It's going to be great. You know, um... Right, but if we continue in verse 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she den- denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, No, you did laugh. <laughs> All right. Then the men got up from their meal. They looked out towards Sodom, and they left. And Abraham went them, with them to send them on their way. If God sees you, and if God hears you, he also knows the truth about every feeling and every thought that you've had. I know times get tough as a mom. I'm not a mom, but I've been very close to one, and um, I have one, so it's kind of cool too, but I know things are not easy all the time, right? Whether it's a colicky baby or a child with special needs or a rebellious teenager who won't just listen to anything that you say or just having children in general or even that unmet desire to have kids and you haven't been able to have one yet. Sometimes as a mom, you may basically feel like a hostage to your own children and you just want to escape and that's okay too, right? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about emotions, we talked about how they're there to help us keep balance in our life, but that when we let them steer our lives, it's going to lead us to some sort of big crash. But if we let our, our emotions be the training wheels that we just lean on till we can get through the situation and find our balance, like it's okay to own your feelings if you know how to use them correctly. There's a verse in Isaiah 49. It's actually about God's faithfulness to us, but we see this glimpse of mothers and how they reflect God uniquely into the world, different than fathers, different than other people. In Isaiah 49, 15, it says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? Well, I think that answer might be yes for some moms, but just for a short little while. God did not choose fathers in this illustration because we're not good at that, right? I have totally, like, it's been me and the kids at home, Victoria's been out, I'm like, oh, it's time for supper. And I've just made myself food and sat down. And my kids are like, can I have some, Dad? I'm like, I guess, but geez, I do everything around here, you know? But I, I love my kids, don't get me wrong, but it's pretty easy for me to forget them sometimes because I'm not a mom. You know, that's not how I was made. And you might want to forget them, 
sometimes. You might not feel love in those moments, and that's okay. But God has created you with that image of himself inside of you. And I love that the Lord just called her out, to be honest, right? Why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. Come on. You laughed. God wants you just to be honest with him. Man, share those frustrations. Voice that frustration you have with God way back, and I actually talked about this, I had a, a spiritual mom of mine, and she told me when I was just going through a lot, she goes, God has the broadest shoulders, bigger than anything in the universe. He can take whatever you have to lay on him. Whatever it is, however it comes out of your mouth, whether it's full of cuss words, or, you know, sometimes you can't even say anything, you're just like, oh, and you just want to yell at him. He can take that, and he wants that honesty. He understands why she laughed. He gets it. She's, she's way past that age right? He understands. We fast forward a whole year to chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. It says that the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for, um, for Abraham in his old age. And this happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said, that Abraham, said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. The name Isaac literally translates to laughter. Right? What she did as this unhopeful mother and not believing God, laughing at him, she turned it into what God had done in her life as a constant reminder that God sees, he hears, and he is faithful. And all who hear will laugh with me now. When I look at this story, I don't see what you would normally call a person of faith, right? She tried to do it her own way. She laughed when angels told her what it was supposed to be. She tried to lie about it. You know, and eventually she still had this son and she raised him to follow God. And she's mentioned in the hall of faith. Mothers out there, and those who want to be mothers, but for some reason it hasn't happened yet, don't let your failed attempts, your anger, your frustration, your doubt, keep you from feeling like a woman of faith. God sees, God hears, and he is faithful. The other mother mentioned in the hall of faith is in Hebrews 11, verse 23, and it says, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They, they saw that God had given, him, given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's commands. First off, if you have an unusual child, it might be because you're hiding him. Just saying. But Moses' mother, she's not talked about a lot in the Bible. Her name is Joshebed, and you find it in some random obscure verse much later. But um, in the story of Moses happens in Exodus 2. And this is just a little bit after, you know, Abraham and all that. So in Exodus 2, 1 through 4, it says, About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made out of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and she put the baby in a basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Right, let's backtrack for a second to get some context on why she's putting her baby into the river, because that's weird. Um, at this time, the Israelites, they were slaves to the Egyptians. And Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians, he was noticing that the Israelite population, this, that Moses was part of, the Hebrews, was growing. 
And he was afraid that, afraid that these slaves were going to be able to get so big that they would overtake the nation. So he ordered the midwives, those who were delivering the Hebrew babies, to start killing all the male babies. So in Exodus 1, 15 through 21, we find this story. It says, Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, um, Shifra and Pua. If you guys are having babies and you're thinking of some good female names, Shifra and Pua, top notch, Okay. You won't find anyone else out there besides these two, I'm pretty sure. So, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for these midwives and said, why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed these boys to live? And the Hebrew, their their response is great. Says the Hebrew women are not like those Egyptian women. They are more vigorous, and they have their babies so quickly we can't even get there in time. Like what a slam on the Egyptian women. Like, well, you're weak women, you know, take forever, but we're just strong. I can't get there fast enough. And uh, but verse twenty says, so God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Man, those are some good moms right there. Honoring God, fighting for life, and sarcastic to boot, right? And God blessed them with a family for honoring him. But Pharaoh was not okay with that, right? He's like, no, we got to get rid of these things. So then he ordered his own people in verse 22, that if you see a newborn male Hebrew, you just toss that baby in the river. Imagine being a mother in that period of time, trying to hide your baby boy because at any moment some stranger could just rip him out of your hands and throw him in the river by law. Yeah, it's crazy. But Moses' mom, Josheban, was brave. She honored God. Let's continue in verse 4. You know, she places the baby in the river. And the baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. A little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approaches the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother, and I will pay you for your help. So the woman took the baby home and nursed him. First off, Jehoshaphat scored the motherhood gig of all time, right? Get paid directly, probably pretty good money from the princess to care for her own child. So moms, if you're looking for a good paying gig, try putting your baby in a basket, tossing it in the river. Might be a little risky, but no, just kidding. Don't do it. Don't do that. Um, It's not sound advice for me, okay? But on a serious note, what would you do, right? Could you trust God to care for your newborn? Moms, as we have established, no one on earth cares for your children more than you do. But someone who exists outside of that does. God cares more for your children than you do. They're his creation, his precious creation, just like you. He cares for them multiple, multiple times more than we could ever. And there will be moments in your life that you have to let them go and trust that God has them in his hands. And I know that this has got to be a near impossible task for moms. I know it's hard for my mom. To this day, she still asks if I make it home okay. Like, mom, I live two hours away from you. You don't even, I'm not even home. 
Like, I'm out hiking or different things, and she'd be like, everything okay? You know, just let me know when you make it home. Like, okay, mom. And um, I remember growing up, whenever I was out, and like, if I get out home late after she was already in bed, she wanted me to come into the bedroom and wake her up, which is a scary thing, you know? Like, you never know what you're going to walk into. So... um, Everything was good. Nothing ever happened. Um, but my mom would just basically be awake in her bed until I came in and said, hey, I'm home. And um, I mean, I, so after I graduated, I came to Des Moines for a year. I went back home and I rented a room out of my parents' house because my dad's a bad man. But um, <laughs> saying, you know, but so I'm renting a bedroom out and I would still get, you know, I was free to do whatever. I was like, get home at 3, 4 a.m., you know, after hanging out with my friends and my mom would still want me to come in. And my dad would be like, if you come into my room at 3 a.m. and wake me up, I'll kill you. And um, in the name of Jesus, probably. But so my mom and I had this other system. She would leave the porch light on until I got home. And then I, you know, I turned the porch light off when I come in. So then she could get up and the porch light was off and she would know that I made it home safely. And I would hear her when I come home, I get, my room was in the basement. I would hear her get up and check the porch to see if the light was off. And, you know, later I learned that I could just reach in, turn the light off, shut the door quietly and go back out and knew my mom would be okay thinking I was safe at home and I could just go do whatever I wanted. But I don't know if she knows that yet. So keep that on the DL, but she, yeah, right? It's hard for my mom to let me go. And, um, but one, I was amazed, my mom, so I got the opportunity to go to Pakistan in 2009 on a missions trip. If you know anything about Pakistan in 2009, it was the most dangerous place in the world. Um, and on top of that, we were going to Peshawar, which was the most dangerous city in the world at that time. It was literally right on the edge of Taliban um, territory. They were constantly in battle over the city. And my mom was like, are you sure you're supposed to go? You know, like, I don't, I don't think you should go, you know? And I was like, well, I really feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. And um, I didn't have the money to go on this trip. And somebody, I don't even know who to this day, somebody just paid off the rest of my trip. And um, I'm like, I, I think I'm supposed to go, mom. And she'd be like, okay, I'll be praying for you, but I'll let you go. And like for my mom, who can't even like handle me being in town out late to let me go to another, like the other side of the world, to the most dangerous places, because she could trust that I was in God's hands. You have to be able to let go and let God take care of your children's lives. And that's obviously something that's much easier to do um, or to say than to do. And, but the earlier we start doing that with our children, the easier it becomes for us. Proverbs 22.6 says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Right, we cover this idea when we do baby dedications. That you as parents, you're not just on your own dedicating your life to take care of your child, but that you're dedicating to let God take care of your child and whatever that looks like and whatever way, and that's not always easy. Right, think of Josheped. She could have kept trying to hold on and hide Moses, but she could have lost him. But putting him in God's hands not only saved Moses' life, but ended up in turn freeing all of the Hebrew people from their slavery. Man, what a faith. There are so many moms in the Bible doing so many amazing things. I think of Bathsheba coming up to David, going to bat to make sure that her, so- her son Solomon was going to be king. Naomi, who spiritually mothered Ruth. The Shunammite woman that believed God for a son. And later that son that she had died and she chased down Elisha for like miles to come back and resurrect her son. You know, not to mention Mary, the mother of Jesus, who at a young age took on the task of being mother to God. I mean, she only lost him for a few days in there, but God was still faithful to her. 
And even beyond that, she became a spiritual mom to John and probably to Mary Magdalene. Why do I love these moms so much? Because they all lived out their motherhood in faith. You know, they were still fighting for what they wanted most. What they wanted most for the kids, but they left room for God to do his things. Like I said, my mom was pretty great. She fought for what she believed for, um, what she believed was right. Um, she taught me to stand up for myself. Probably not always the great thing, like for me at times. It's helpful at moments, but I remember being, um, I don't know, probably elementary school, and every Sunday we went over to my grandma's house for dinner after church, and um, we were, me and my cousins were out back, and literally like the whole Sandlot movie thing played out. We were playing baseball. I hit a tennis ball, like, because we lost the baseball, and um, tennis balls fly a lot farther than a baseball. And that cleared the garage, cleared the alley, and landed in our neighbor's yard behind our house that had like a husky, wolf, Sasquatch hybrid dog thing that in the back. And the scariest dog ever, especially as like a little kid. And, uh, you know, because I was younger than my cousins, um, it had to be me that climbed the fence to go get this ball. And we were like shaking the fence, and the dog wasn't coming out. So we're like, it's going to be fine. So I climbed the fence, and... Uh, go to grab the ball, and the dog is literally like hiding under the porch, just ready to kill. And um, I grab the ball and see, like, we made like eye contact, and I just take off running, but he bit my arm, this dog, and it like tore my shirt, made me bleed. I like dove over the fence, um, and it's all like a real story, okay? So every part of this. And um, I get home, you know, and I go inside, and uh, my mom's like, what happened to you? You know, I'm like, I just got bit by the neighbor's dog. Don't worry, it was awesome. Um, and uh, she's like, what if that dog has rabies? And she drags me all the way around the block and banging on the front door. The woman's like, they, you know, I think a husband and wife answered the door and they're like, can we help you? And they're like, your dog bit my child and you're going to pay for his rabies tests and blah, 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 you know. And, uh, but she fought for me. You know, I, she could have left me to die, um, you know, and, but she didn't. My mom was a great mom. She was at every single event that I can remember. She would also do anything to get me to go to camps and breakaways and, and allowed me to get before God at every opportunity. There's no one on earth that supported me like my mom has, Victoria being close second. Mothers, you are loved and needed. And I know this holiday isn't the easiest for all women because maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you haven't been able to conceive, but God, that, that doesn't take away the image of motherhood that God has placed inside of you. See, while my mom was a great mom, I've had a lot of wonderful, amazing spiritual moms in my life. I think of my best friend in high school, his mom, Paula. Um, she later became our youth pastor and eventually passed the youth ministry on to me. But she poured so much into my life. She was the one who talked about God's broad shoulders. She gave me wisdom on how this angsty emo teen could handle his oppressive parents. You know, she joked about things my mom would never talk about, she dyed my hair for me because my mom didn't let me. You know, those type of things. She was a safe place to go at any time. And she loved me like her own. I think of just not too many years ago when we were in Waverly ministering there. And we were pretty far away from my family. And there's times that just feel lonely. And the secretary of the church, her name is Lisa. She reminded me of my real mom. On days when, you know, you're just so down and you feel like you have nobody to talk to, I would go to the office and I would just stop by her office because it's on the way in. She would just talk to me and listen to me, but just felt like my mom. And I just make things okay. And I think of this lady, Marianna, who her children weren't really close by and she would have us over and she'd make us a good homemade meal. And she would just like force us to not do anything that whole night. She'd make us sit on her couch. She'd like prep the whole meal. Then she'd like 
almost basically, if she could carry us, she would have carried us to the table and she would have carried us back to the couch and she just loved on us like a mom would. She was always there to pray for us. And without those women in my life, I don't know if I'd be anywhere near where I would be today. And we live in a world where not everyone has good parents. Many of them growing up in single parent homes or in foster care or maybe not even in spiritual homes. And they need moms. On top of that, there's this, you know, our generation now is traveling and getting jobs all over. You know, they, they don't grow up and stay in their homes that their family is in. So we have all these people that don't have parents that live right nearby. And they need moms in their life. If you read the book of Ruth, you find the story of, of Naomi, who is the mother-in-law to Ruth, who became a real, her real spiritual mother in Ruth's greatest time of need when her husband had died. In Titus 2, 3-5, we find this call from Paul to Titus. And um, Paul's telling him, hey, this is how to direct your church. He says, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure and to work in their homes, to do good and to be cooperative with their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. We need all of you to be mothers to the generations around you. We can always use more moms in our lives. Have you guys seen that commercial where it's like, I think it's a car insurance commercial, I don't even, but it's like, yeah, we have an ant problem, and it's like all their ants living in the house, not like bugs, and they're like, you know, like that's the bad side, but we need moms like that, you know, that are constantly coming over and just caring for you and looking out for you and, and questioning everything that you do in some sort of ways just to remind you like, you know, hey, you know, be on your best behavior, right? You know, and there's always someone younger you could be pouring into Today, I just have this little acronym thing. Obviously, it spells out mother because it's Mother's Day. And, um, but these are just things to just keep in mind as you're like, okay, I, I want to be a spiritual mom, but what, what do I do? What does that look like? And it's really simple. It's really easy. Um, but if you need something to help you. So the M stands for model, right? And not be a model. I mean, all of you moms are models, okay? So you don't, don't listen to anybody else who tells you different Something is true. Some of you even have your face on shirts right here today. Um, but <laughs> to model the life, be an example to the other women around you. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and 16 says, For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. This was Paul talking. And again in 11.1, Paul says, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Right, this call to be a, a spiritual father is obviously for guys, but it translates over to women as well. To be a spiritual mama means to model what it looks like to follow Christ. Right? Paul called himself a spiritual father and he gave them the direction to imitate me as I'm imitating God. And so for you, that life you model is just like, hey, look at me as I try and be like God and try and do what I'm doing. It's not much more than that. O is for obedience. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That, they, that would certainly not be for your benefit. Right? Teach them obedience, but not blind obedience. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying teach them just to obey everything a leader says. Right? The word obey in Greek means to trust, to believe, to have confidence in. Right? Show your spiritual kids what it looks like to have confidence in their leaders and why we have confidence in them. 
Help them discern that, um, discern what leaders they can trust and what they can obey. Many of these parentless children have a hard time with authority because they've never encountered an authority that they can trust. They need you to model that for them, to teach them about that. Help point them to good leaders that do understand that they're accountable to God for their actions. T, teach them to remain teach, I guess just teach, teachable, um, and to be a teacher, right? Psalm 2711 says, teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Psalm 8611 says, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Right? Help them to stay teachable, to not become rigid in their beliefs. And the best way to do that is to remain teachable yourself and take them along on those processes where you're like, yeah, I used to kind of believe this and whatever, but God has changed some things in me and I want to share that with you. But then also to be a teacher, not like you as the spiritual moms, but teach them to teach too, right? Second Timothy 2.24 says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. You don't have to have all the knowledge. You just need to be able to teach what you already know. Right? And some of you might only know what not to do. You know? And sometimes that's best. Right? The best way to teach is to be an example. Invite these spiritual children to just do regular life with you. That's the best teacher. If you look at Jesus, he wasn't you know, sitting before them in a classroom setting all day, every day. They were just following him along life, and he would just use things that are happening around them to teach them about spiritual truths and kingdom truths, and that's what it takes. Just take these children under your wings and pour into them. H is for humility. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. In Galatians 6, 3, he says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Right? Help your spiritual children to view others as more important than themselves. That they would move humbly around and through their lives, making time for those that are in need around them. And that God is with those that are contrite and humble because they acknowledge their need for God. Show them what it looks like and teach them to do the same. E is for encourage. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, and take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. And Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. As spiritual mothers, your job is to encourage, to place courage into your spiritual children to encourage them, to push them, you know, out of the nest so that they can fly, let them fall and fail a few times, then mama bird them afterwards, right? Constantly be thinking of ways to motivate them, to spur them on, to do more acts of love and good works, right? Avoid tearing them down and focus on building them up. And then R stands for replace yourself. Matthew 28, 19 says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Your end goal as a spiritual mother, and really as a mother, is to replace yourself in this world. Hopefully with an even better version of yourself that, that starts its growth where you left off. That they, in turn, would be mothers to the motherless. And they do this very thing because they learned it from you. 
Right? And while this is the goal of all Christians, to disciple one another, the idea of spiritual mothership is just this like, great picture of that as well. Mothers, you are world changers. One person at a time. One child at a time. Mother Teresa, when she was asked, what can I do to promote world peace? She said, go home and love your family. My mom, she wasn't like, the most spiritual person like that you when you picture that she wasn't like she didn't get up and share prophetic words she didn't get up and teach she you know was kind of just a kept to herself person I did see her you know she she was in the background of a lot of things happening at church she read her bible every morning um she loved to sing loves to sing and worship I, I don't know why I said it past tense she's still alive um but maybe I need to call her no um I'm just kidding but what really impacted me most about her though was her love for our family. My mom loved me through all of my accomplishments, through all of my downfalls. She cried whenever I left home, and she still cries whenever we leave after we visit. But it's also why I fell in love with Victoria, because she's kind of that same type of person that just loves everybody, especially her family. And we can, mothers, you change the world by just loving on people in the way that only you can. I, Last Father's Day, we talked about how fathers reflect a different image of God than moms do. And there's something in you women that, that God has placed this image of motherhood into that only you guys can do that. My love will never be the same as a mother's love for their children. And even as a spiritual mom, you have something special to put into the world. At any age, it's not just for somebody who's older. At any age, you have people that you can be pouring into for mothers, spiritual mothers, mothers-to-be, stepmothers, mothers-in-laws, grandmothers, for all mothers, remain faithful even when you have no faith. Be honest with God. Leave your children in God's hands and love them to Jesus. Can you women do something for me? Can you raise your hand if you can commit to being a spiritual mother to just one person? Is that something you guys can do? You can put your hands down. Is there anybody here that's like, I need a spiritual mom in my life? Could you raise your hands up high so people can see? We have people right here that, that need that. And I saw a lot of other hands went up. So before you leave here today, connect with those people and say, hey, daughter, I'm going to take you out on a little daughter-mom date. You know, we're going to go have a tea party or, or something. I don't, I don't know what you guys do. It's a weird life over there. But you guys know and you'll understand. Before we end today, though, you know, I'm pretty much done, but I do want to take a moment, and I want to spend some time just praying for you who want to be physical mothers, real mothers, and um, haven't yet been able to conceive. This is actually one of the most common miracles in the Bible, was God opening up a, a mother's womb so that she could have a baby. And um, not only did this happen in the Bible, a lot I've seen it happen in multiple people in my churches and friends of ours that we've prayed for them. And it's not that you haven't been praying for it enough. We're not saying that. Um, but in the Bible, there was, you know, this man who, you know, they, he was a paralytic and some friends, quote unquote, they're actually strangers that were just passing by, grabbed this man, believed God could heal him. And they lowered him through the roof before Jesus. And Jesus healed that person because of the faith of the other people. And I know that that's a hard journey for a lot of you that has been praying for that to happen. And we want to surround you with some other people and maybe 
today, and I believe today, that, that God can change that in your life. So if that's you, could you just raise your hand if you're trying to conceive and haven't been able to yet? All right, women, can we gather around some of them? Catherine's back in the sound booth. You may not have seen her hand up, and Amanda in the back over there. Amanda over there, and then Catherine back there, and Whitney. Was there anybody else that we missed that wrote? Cool. All right, let's just pray for these people. Just stretch out your hands to whoever's closest to you, and let's just pour out our prayers upon them. God, we, God, we know what you can do. God, you are the the healer, the restorer. God, you can do miracles that we can't even comprehend. God, and we ask that you would just reach down from heaven right now and that you would just touch these women that want to get pregnant. God, would you open their wombs and, and make everything restored so that they can have children, God? God, we know that this is something not only that you did from history all the way to today, but this is something that I've seen with my own eyes, God, and we believe fully in the name of Jesus that, that they can become pregnant, God. And I pray that you would just be with them, that you would come and you would restore things, that you would line everything up so that, um, that they could be with child, God, and have that blessing, God, that you've called us to do in Scripture, God. We believe that you are touching them right now, God, and that you are opening up their wombs, that you are restoring them, and they don't have to wait till they're 90 years old, God. We don't want that, right? Maybe 90 days from now, that's all we're asking. God, come and do the things that only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. We have a, a gift for all the women in here because you're all reflecting the motherhood of God. So as you leave um, through the back doors, we'll be able to hand you um, a gift. And um, happy Mother's Day to everybody. I don't know, you, you guys all play such a big role and you may not even know the roles that you're playing in a lot of people's lives around you, but you're all needed. All right, let's pray real quick and you guys can go. God, we just, we thank you for the mothers in here, Lord. Spiritual mothers, all the different kinds of mothers that we have, God. God, who has poured into our lives, God, who may not even be in here. God, I pray a special blessing on them, Lord. God, that you would find um, spiritual children for these mothers to connect to and to pour their hearts out to. God, that you would open their hearts, like, with your heart. that their eyes would be open, that their eyes would be open to those who are broken around them that they can pour into, Lord. God, I pray that you would just pour out an extra measure of love on them, that the fruit of the Spirit would just overflow out of them into the lives of all those that they minister to, um, even as just inviting them along to their life, the things that they do. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Go and love them to Jesus, right?